Well, good morning, Southcrest Church. I hope you guys are doing well. Man, welcome. I know it's raining outside, but you guys brave the weather. You're here. Welcome. We want to welcome everybody from LaGrange. Uh, We love you guys. Welcome everybody online that's watching right now via Facebook Live. Uh, My name's Matt. We are right in the middle of our sermon series called Crazy Stupid Love. And uh, I have the privilege of talking about how to fight well in marriage. When the service planning team sat down and we lined out the series and they gave me this topic, I was like, no, no, I don't, I don't want to do this, man. This, is, this, can get, this can get sticky, man. This can get difficult. You know, there's fighting and conflict in marriage. And if we polled everybody, I bet you 99.9, uh, 100% of people would raise their hand and say, yeah, I've fought in marriage. And so, but man, the more I, I, I thought about it and prayed about it, I really think the Lord led me to a passage where uh, not only did he want me to go through it for my marriage and my relationships, I know he wants you to go through it too. So if you'll hang with me, I promise we're going to take this thing somewhere and uh, it's going to be, it's going to be good. So let me do this real quick. How many of you in here are single? Raise your hand. Anybody single? Okay, cool. We got a, got a handful. Anybody in here dating? Anybody dating? Okay. A couple of, couple of folks. Anybody in here married? Of course, that would be the, uh, the other. Okay, cool. That's cool. All right, good. So we've got a lot of married folk in here, got a lot, some dating, single people. I promise that this message applies to anybody in any stage of life, I promise, okay? So the reality is this. Every marriage, every relationship, every marriage is going to experience conflict, period. It's going to happen, right? All marriages. And then what compounds the issue on top of the conflict is that we have a really hard time yielding in an argument. We want to win, right? How many of you guys want to win arguments? You guys got issues with not, you know, yeah, I do. I'm, I'm stubborn. Kathy's stubborn, right? That just makes it worse on top of it. But the reality is that we all have arguments and it's just going to happen from simple stuff to very serious stuff. I I looked up on the internet ridiculous things couples have fought about, and so I just wanted to share a couple of these with you so maybe you don't feel so terrible in your marriage about what you fight about. Number one, Beth emailed in. She said, I basically had a temper tantrum because I burned a grilled cheese sandwich. He was trying to give me advice and be helpful. I slammed the spatula down and told him that he could do it himself. I went to my room to pout. Any of you ever fought over burned food or where to eat or food in general? Anybody? Okay, we got some hands. Cool. Raquel, she emailed in and said, we argued over who was going to get back out of the bed to turn off the lights. We were both so stubborn, we slept all night with the lights on. (laughs) Uh, Stephanie, uh, she messaged in and said that I was pregnant and I cried because he made me tater tots for dinner and I didn't like them. We fought about it for two days. Shannon, she messaged in and said, we fought over how to spend hypothetical lottery winnings. They fought over money they didn't even have or didn't even own. Beck, she she messaged in and said, one day he came home from work and I was already asleep. He went to cuddle with me facing me and I told him that he was stealing my air and I turned over. Lo and behold, we had a fight about cuddling. You know, there's arguments that uh, over bed sheets, right? How, how tight to tuck them in, right? If it's too tight, your toes are bending down at the end of the bed, or if they're too loose, then I, you know, you just don't feel right. Kathy and I, we've argued over what to paint, you know, the dining room, and pretty much nightly, we can't agree on what to watch on Netflix. She wants, you know, this is us, and I want something with explosions and things, you know? 
how to squeeze the toothpaste, right? Do you roll it up from the end or squeeze it from the center? And, and I remember very early on in our marriage how to fold towels. I was raised that you fold them in thirds, right? You fold it over, you fold it in thirds. Anybody a third towel folder? We got, okay, half the room. She was raised, you fold it in a square, right? Any square folders? Okay, we got some square folders. We fold in, the, we fold in square at our house. I lost that argument uh, pretty quickly, so... The reality is that God didn't design us to agree on everything, right? We're not always going to agree on how to raise or how to discipline kids. We're not going to always agree on how to spend our money. We're not always going to agree about intimacy in the bedroom. And those three, those three items are really the leading causes of divorce in, in our culture today, those three things. And, uh, and it goes from those serious items down to very, very simple items. But the reality is each marriage is going to face moments of pain, moments of disappointment, moments of anger. And we fall into this trap of this. We fall into the trap of thinking that the issue is our spouse. And our marriage will have a chance of survival if only my spouse will change. And my marriage would actually be fun and enjoyable if my spouse would change. We think it's the person sitting next to us. We think it's their fault. We think it's their personality difference. Or he's a really poor communicator. Or her family upbringing was super weird. Or, I, or maybe physical makeup has changed over time. Or, or your expectations that you, that you carry going into your marriage just isn't, isn't being met. And that's a trap that we cannot fall into. James, we're going to be in James 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James 4. Pull out your iPhones or your iPads or whatever it is. James 4, um, this is going to be awesome. I'm, Kathy and I, you know, we, we have been married. You know, you may think I'm young and I don't have grounds to be standing up here to share this, but we've actually been together 21 years, have been married for 17. We have fought about serious stuff to simple stuff. We have been through this the hard way, right? We've been through this the hard way. And if I could have understood James 4 quicker in our marriage, I believe that this passage would have helped me navigate through some of the challenges that we had very early on. And ultimately, we would have been able to honor God through every circumstance, which is really, really important. James 4, here's the deal. The real and difficult challenge of figuring out marital disputes is this. It's looking beyond the topics, looking beyond the subjective argument in the moment, and getting down to the heart of the matter. That is what James is going to break down for us right here, okay? So let's go through this. I promise this is going to be slightly painful, um, but we'll get through it together, okay? No, it's not going to be painful. It's good. James 4, uh, verse number 1. It'll be up here on the screen, or you can follow along uh, on, um, on your app there. James 4, 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives more grace 
That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This passage is, is really, really awesome. It's, it's quite deep, and so I want to break it down. What James is saying out of the gate is he's saying, hey, the reason why you fight, the reason why you have issues is because of you. The reason why you fight and argue and quarrel within your marriage isn't your spouse's fault. It's your own fault. It's our own evil desires that are within ourselves. Why do we fight? Right here. It's our own selfish desires. The root cause of outward fighting is an inward issue. Here, here's, here's a newsflash for you. I, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Kathy's a sinner saved by, You're a sinner saved by grace, and you're married to a sinner saved by grace. Listen, we are going to fail each other, not because of, you know, she's not the issue. I'm the issue. It's my fault is the issue. And the selfish desires that he's, that he's talking about in this passage is this. Let's break this down for a minute. It's anything that's in our heart that can fix itself to something created in the world, right? So if you break that down and you think about it, right, it's something that we crave or it's something that we lust for. On the other end of the spectrum, it's something maybe that we are afraid of losing or fear of facing. It's that, you know, for, for, for women, I know approval is huge, Approval can be a selfish desire. For men, it's that respect. That can become a desire. Maybe it's money, sexual pleasure, maybe whatever it is, it's those selfish desires that are within us. And James is saying, hey, it's your selfishness that is causing fights among you. I remember uh, a moment in my marriage with Kathy. Uh, it was about eight years ago, nine years ago, where it, it got a little tense um, many of you know that, you know, I've referenced it a lot, but I was a, a professional musician for, for 10 years, well, six years, but 10 total. And uh, early on, everything was great. Man, Kathy was great with the, the traveling and, and the touring and all that stuff. And, and as time progressed, like 10 years later, my family was growing. I was gone so much. And, uh, you know, home life became, you know, strained and difficult. And, and even in my own heart, you know, setting, setting that aside, even my, in my own heart, uh, it was sad. And it, and it longed to be at home because I was missing these moments. And when I would come home from touring, I, I'd come, you know, we'd be, be at home and Kathy would bring the topic up. She would say, hey, you know, this is getting dif you know, difficult. You're missing out on these moments. And I would immediately throw up a wall. And I wouldn't have it. I wouldn't have the conversation. No matter what it is that we crave, here's the issue. Here's what James is saying. He's saying it's that elevated desire within your heart that goes above God and above your spouse that you're committed to. Even if it's a good thing. Even if it's a good thing. Listen, I've got, and I'm not knocking tour. I've got family members that do it. I've got um, friends that, that, are, that tour and, they, and everything's great for them. But for me in that moment, God was working in my heart but I had elevated that to an improper place in my life. No matter the object, when the selfish desire arises in our hearts, man, we'll go to battle for it. We'll, we'll, we'll war over that idol. 
James goes on, goes on in verse three. He says, and when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James is saying, hey, your prayers can even become contaminated with your desires within your heart. I remember praying about it. It's like, God, would you just change her heart about me playing drums on the road? I, I feel like I'm called to play these drums everywhere, Lord. And so, and God's probably like, no, I don't know about that, man. Because it was a wrong motive. It was a wrong motive. And James is saying, hey, listen, your pleasure's here. You're spending on yourself. And, and I'm, not, I'm not listening to you. I, I, can't, I can't honor this because you're asking with wrong motives. He goes on to verse number four. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Man, James, is he's just kind of sticking this knife in just a little deeper. He's like, okay, so here we go a little farther. And what he's helping us to identify is, is that the fights that we have with one another, it's proof that we love the world. And when our goals and when our desires aren't being met and we get bitter and we get irritated with one another, it only serves as proof that our hearts aren't right with God. We're choosing friendship with with the world and in the same time we're choosing to be an enemy with God. That's, That's quite heavy, but it's truth. It's truth and we need to hear this. We need to hear this as as husbands, as wives. If we're struggling within our marriage, this is the reason. This is the reason. James is breaking it down for us. We're choosing to love something above, ultimately, uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and above our spouse. And our anger and our irritation and our fighting, it only proves the issue. James is pointing out here, he's saying, hey, the fighting is being played out amongst us, right? Right? But the biggest problem is the war that is being waged against me and God. It's our selfish pride that's conflicting and battling against the will of God. You see, before we need self-help books, before we need marital tactics and strategies, we need a radical heart change, and we need to fall desperately, deeply in love with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's what we need ultimately. And from that relationship, then everything trickles out, and it's correct. That's what we need, guys. That's it right there. Verse five, he goes on. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I love this verse. And at the same time, it literally shakes me to the core. Think about this. What is, could, you, could you imagine anything worse than the God of the universe, the one true living God, in direct opposition to you? No, I can't think of anything worse than the God of the universe in direct opposition. What he's saying right here is he's saying your selfish desires and your pride, your prideful heart, puts God in a posture that opposes you. We fight in our marriages because of our pride. We see that here. And we fight because we love ourselves more than we love Jesus. And then our marriages fail to function correctly because of this pride. And because of this pride, God stands in opposition to us. Francis Chan says it like this. He says, pride, the pride required to win an argument and to defeat your opponent provides you a new opponent 
God. Man, it's heavy. It's heavy, but it's truth. It's truth. Let me ask you this question. Are you struggling in your marriage because of yourself? Let's look, at in, let's look into our hearts. Let's look at us. And I'm not st- standing up here saying that I've got this all together. The Lord is working this out in me, man. He's, he's, he's really you know, driving the screws to me and saying, Matt, look at your heart. The reason why you're, you're, you, know, you have tension is because of your own heart. So how do we fight well in marriage? I want to give you some how-tos really quick as we kind of w- work through these things. Here's how we fight well in our marriage. We fight against ourselves. We fight against ourselves. The problem typically isn't our spouse. And I'm not negating, you know, some abusive situations and things like that. I'm, not talking, about, I'm talking about 99.9% of the time of, of just wrestling, fighting, and, and, you know, bickering back and forth has to do with us and our selfishness. So what do we do? Here's what we need to do. We need to humble ourselves. How to fight well in marriage? Humble yourself. The problem is selfish pride. The solution is humility. Humility is a key to a healthy marriage. Absolutely. Again, we don't need self-help books. I mean, I've read a ton of them, and they're great, and I do recommend reading, reading books and, and having you know, guides and, and, and things like that. But before you go to Barnes & Noble or download it off of Amazon, we need the favor of God in our marriages. That is ultimately what we need before anything. Moving on to verse 7, he says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. This is one of my absolute favorite promises found in all Scripture for me, that I can, I can come near to the Lord, and he in turn comes near to me. Gosh, I, I mean, underline that in your Bible. That is a massive, massive promise right there. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. James right here, man, he's walking you through a how-to guide. What he's saying is like, listen, you guys got fighting amongst yourselves, and that ain't good. That fighting is because of your selfish desires in your heart, and that ain't good. And you're even praying about it. You're even taking it to the Lord, thinking that he's going to answer you. That ain't good. And, and in doing so, you're choosing the Lord. You're cho- I mean, you're choosing the world over the Lord, and that ain't good. Let me tell you what to do. Here's what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to submit yourself to the Lord, and you need to be humble to one another. Okay? That's what he's saying. This may include, listen... Wives in the room, that may, that may include losing an argument. Husbands in the room, that may include letting go of that treasure that you so desperately wanted. What James is breaking down is this. He's saying that conflict with one another is only symptomatic of the con- of conflict that you have ultimately with God. And all conflict resolution uh, between us, whether you're dating or single or married, has to start with submission, a renewed submission to the Lord. Francis Chan said it like this. He said, most relational problems are not relational problems. They're God problems. And they can be traced back to one or both people not having a good relationship with God or have a faulty understanding of who he is. So how do we do this? 
Let's walk through this just step by step. Here's some practical stuff. There's tons of stuff on this, but this is just some steps to get started and for you to start working out, you know, within your own relationships here. So how do we humble ourselves? Well, I believe that we must act like Jesus to our spouse. We have to act like Jesus to our spouse. The greatest example of humility is Jesus Christ himself. And we need to open up God's word and we need to model our life after him. We need to stop coming up with our own versions of following Jesus and stop taking the good stuff that that we like and and kind of forgetting the bad stuff over here that costs me something. We need to actually act like God and imitate him. And if both the husband and the wife make it their goal to imitate Christ, a lot of marital conflict begin to resolve themselves and they begin to dissipate and they become less and less. You're not going to completely get rid of all conflict because we're sinners. We'll fail each other. But if we make it our goal to honor the Lord and to imitate him, they become less and less and less. Listen, we're called to be like Christ. We have to model humility first in our marriages. And I know it can be difficult, right? We're told each and every day, hey, be powerful, be independent, go get yours, right? You know, take control of your life, just like the bumper video. (laughs) But listen, Jesus Christ is telling us to do the exact opposite. What does the Bible have to do? Uh, What does the Bible have to say about this? Well, there's a couple of passages uh, that I wanted to quickly flip through just to give you an overview picture real quick. Philippians 2 Uh, Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And here's what I'd love for you to do. Get rid of others right here and put your spouse's name right there. Value Kathy above myself. I need to do absolutely nothing out of selfish ambition. Absolutely nothing. Vain conceit. Rather, in humility, I need to value my spouse above myself. Ephesians 4, it says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, right? This being a Christian, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Listen, I know this doesn't come natural to us. It's something that we got to work on each and every day. Matthew 16 says this, when Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Forever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Yield yourself. Act like Jesus. Set yourself low. Philippians 2 says this, in your relationships with one another, that's, your marriage is in, included in that. For some reason, we, we seem to think that I need to exercise my Christianity, you know, in the world and outside and at the workplace, and, and yes, you need to do that. For some reason, we neglect to do it within our own household sometimes, you know? In our relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was his mindset? We're about to find out. We're about to learn how I'm supposed to act. Who, being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own, to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. That's what I need to act like. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Think about it, man. Jesus came to this earth not to be served, but to serve. Jesus, in the moments where he's wanting, people were wanting to stone him, and when he, he was taken to the cross, he had every right to stand up and say, hey, stop. You didn't know this, but I'm actually the God of the universe, and I'm Jesus Christ. You know, you don't know who I am. He had the right to do that, but what did he do? He chose. He knew he had to do it, so he was silent. He humbled himself. Guys, that's what we're called to do. This is basic Christianity, and it must be exercised within our marriages. We've got to act like Christ to our spouse. So very, very important. Every marriage is going to go through moments of temporary failure, of anger, but, but we have to determine the goal here. Is it to win an argument, or is it to act like Christ? Is it to resemble Christ? So I, I lined out just a couple of steps, and this is, again, not a comprehensive list, but if, but if you would just be so willing as to jot these down, and if you're struggling, or even if you're not, maybe you're in a healthy marriage, if you would just consider these steps, I feel like this could set you on a path to really resolving marital conflict and set you on a path to having a healthy marriage that is journeying. You're on a journey. It's not perfect. No marriage is perfect, but you're journeying towards the Lord together. Here's what I believe. If you'll take these couple of steps here, this will truly help you. Number one, repent of your pride. Repent of your own pride. Do you want a healthy marriage? It starts with you. Do I want a healthy marriage? It starts with me. So I repent of my own pride. I get on my knees and say, God, I, I have exactly what James is talking about here. I have selfish desires that, that, that war within me, God. And so I'm asking you, Lord, to, to humble me. Lord, I ask for repentance for uh, my own personal pride. That's where it starts. Number two, forgive as Christ forgave, right? We've got to look at our spouse and we've got to be willing to uh, forgive them. Ephesians 4.32. I don't have this in... in um, in the notes there, but uh, you can jot that down. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. How did Christ forgive you? He forgot about it. He doesn't even remember it anymore. He lets it go. We come to him and say, God, I messed up. Would you, for, would you forgive me? He says, yes. And he remembers it no more. We have to f- begin to forget the things. We've got to take the record that my spouse has wronged me, and we've got to erase it and wipe it completely clean. And I know a lot of people have trouble with this. I understand. I know it's difficult. I've talked to people about this. They're like, man, this, I just can't let this go. My spouse has wronged me so terribly bad. You know, X, Y, and Z, here's all the stuff that they did. And here's my advice to them. We have to stop looking at each other and comparing ourselves to one another. We have to stop looking and say, there's no way I can forgive you. You did this to me, and, and, and I'm better than you. And here's what we, need, we must do. We have to take our eyes off of our spouse and we have to put our eyes on Jesus. And in light of Jesus, we understand we're absolutely nothing. And that he has forgiven us of every sin that we have ever committed or ever will commit. And from that place of understanding, we can forgive anybody. And it's from that place of understanding that I can forgive my spouse for anything that she does. 
Stop comparing yourself to your spouse and take your eyes and put them on Jesus and understand, man, he forgave me. He forgave me of it all. So therefore, out of that forgiveness, I can forgive others. That's really, really important. The next one is to serve each other, right? Repent of your pride, forgive each other, forget it, and then begin serving each other. It's really important. Humble service of each other diffuses conflict. When I serve Kathy, it leaves very little room for me to be angry and fighting with her. She absolutely hates loading the dishwasher. I know this is simple, but I try to make it my point to get home after work and to load the dishwasher. I try to try to wash this because I know she hates it, even though I load it incorrectly. Um, not mind you, I just needed to throw that in there. You know, cups are for some reason they I, I don't know, I don't understand it. They're they're in there, babe. They're in there. Uh, but no, when I'm serving her. It puts me in this posture, as I'm loading this dishwasher, I think about her. I think about honoring her. And it just becomes this moment of joy for me that I get to serve her in a very simple, simple way. Serving each other is very, very important. You see, a servant doesn't fight for their own rights, they lay them down. A servant fights for the rights of the person they are serving, not their own. It's important. Number, number five, edify each other. Man, we, we have got, as, especially as Christians, man, we've got to work on our speech to each other. Just like the bumper video, it's like these backhanded, you know, passive aggressive comments, they've got to change. And I know that, man, it can be hurtful in marriages and, and there could be pain, but even within those moments of problems, we have to edify and we have to speak with love to each other. Luke 6, 45 says, a good man brings the good out of uh, I'm sorry, out of the good that he has stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, a husband that loves God will love his spouse, and the evidence is his words. The evidence is what we say. It's very important, man. Build up your spouse. Yes, problems need to be addressed. Yes, you need to talk through it, but do it in love. Do it in love. Next one is confront with humility. This is something that I've recently learned. The purpose of confrontation is to reestablish connection. Something was severed, something was broken within a marriage, and confrontation is, is there to, to reestablish a connection, not to prove a point, not to wound your, your spouse or to win an argument. You know, hey, hey Kathy, I, I just wanted to share with you this morning when you said those things, I just want you to understand how I felt, on the receiving end of how I felt, and it really hurt me, and I just want, you know, I would love for you to think about the way you talk, you know, you said those things to me, and I'm going to work on the way I say, you know, that's how you confront with humility, confront with humility, so you can be reestablished. This next one kind of flows into that, and this is the last one, but communicate often, communicate often. I've talked to, uh, you know, I was talking with a spouse, uh, you know, a couple, two weeks ago, and um, I, I found out that the kind of the way that they deal with conflict in their marriage is they just stuff it down. They just stuff it down and they don't talk about it. And so it just kind of builds up and builds up and builds up and it drives a deeper wedge and a deeper wedge and a deeper wedge into the, to the relationship. And so it's so important, man, to communicate often. Ephesians 4 says, In your anger, don't sin, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. Man, if something happens, 
Confront quickly. Confront in humility. Reestablish that connection. Let that pain go. Deal with that pain. Process that pain and get it, get it gone. Get it out of there. Don't dwell on it. Don't push it down. You see, I believe if we take steps like these in our relationships, I think it does a couple of things. Number one, I think conflict begins to dissipate and begins to be minimized. I think that we can honor each other as we work through issues. And ultimately, I believe that we're called to and we can resemble Christ in our relationships. And that is so very, very important. Listen, the world is craving this, man. The world is broken. Relationships are broken. It is chaos in the world with, with identity and all the stuff that's happening. And man, it's time for Christians to step up and to resemble Christ first and foremost within our marriages and love each other. And I promise you in doing so, if we do it in public, if we do it out in open, and we do it all the time, others, we're gonna, they're going to take notice. They're going to take notice and say, what's, man, what, what's different, man? Why do you love her? You know, you surely love her, man. And then it's, boom, opportunity for you to share Christ in that moment to say, Hey, man, I love her because I'm committed to her. I love her because, you know, this, you, know you just walk through it. It's huge. Huge. So I want to encourage you with that. Man, let's, let's take steps towards healthy marriages. Let's, let's pray. I want to close with just a word of prayer for the next few moments. And first and foremost, the most important thing that we can do right now is to give an opportunity for those of you in the room that have yet to give your life to Christ. The most important relationship that you can have is the one with Jesus Christ. And so what I'd like for you to do, I'd like for everybody in the room right now to do is just to do an inventory of your heart and just identify if you've given your life to Christ, then great. That's the best decision that you could ever make. But if you're in this room today, and maybe you, maybe you haven't given your life to Christ. Maybe that's not you. You said, man, I don't remember a day that I've done that. I can't remember confessing that with my mouth. Well, listen, this is your opportunity. There is no selfish desire. There's nothing in this world that can fulfill you. You are truly missing out on the greatest life that you, would, that you could ever experience. Don't wait another day. Today is your day. Today's your day to surrender your life to God. You see, the story very quickly goes like this, right? God created Adam and Eve and they sinned. And through their sin, sin entered into the world. And everybody that is born is born into a sin nature. God knew this. God knew that we were separated So he sent his only begotten son, and we know that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Outside of Jesus Christ, you have no hope. Outside of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, you're destined to hell, and you're going to spend eternity without him. And this gift of salvation is free. He's free. Ma'am, sir, in this room, please don't, don't skip this opportunity. Romans says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we'll be saved. So if you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody can come to the Father except through him, here's, here's how you 
Here's how you become saved. You, conf- you now have to confess it with your mouth. So you could say a prayer something like this. Say it in your own words, but God, I recognize that you are the one true living God. God, I'm a sinner. I ask that you come into my life and forgive me of my sins. Wash me white as snow. God, I choose to live my life for you each and every day. And I give my life to you. Thank you for saving me. 